everybody welcome to another episode of cape town a superhero podcast about superhero things i'm tyler huckabee i'm chris Unblood. and i'm ryan ham and this week we are talking about venom we are <laughs> this one i feel like usually i don't know we we like tossed around who we're going to talk about this week a little bit we had a few ideas a few of our ideas got like derailed like we had to postpone it specifically because our Hannah Mazel, who's usually here with us, is taking a little time out to deal with some burst pipes in her house that I think led her to go to Disney World this week. And it, whatever happened, she's not here right now. So we are going to save who we were going to talk about this week. And instead, we're going to talk about Venom in anticipation of the the hotly expected new movie that is going to be coming out in just a couple of weeks. Uh, but before we dive into talking about Venom, which we're very excited to do, we're, as always, going to take a little bit of time to talk about the news this week. And there's kind of a lot of news this week. It's been a long, it's been a long week for news. Um, the first one, the biggest one, I suppose, is that uh, we had the, our first look at the Captain Marvel movie that came out in Entertainment Weekly. People were pretty excited about it. I was pretty excited about it. Were you guys pretty... We were passing around a lot of photos in our text thread. I mean, it was super cool. I love... I, I just like love the little teaser that like when we get these little glimpses of like, oh, new stuff is going to come out. Like we're recording this on Monday night and tomorrow is the trailer release. Yeah. And everybody <laughs> everybody was just like hoping that it was going to be the trailer. And Marvel, like Marvel and Disney, they have this formula down where they release these first looks and then the trailer. And it's just so funny. I, I love just like watching how the internet reacts to this kind of stuff. And uh, so, yeah, it was, it was really cool just to kind of see. It was our first look at Scrolls, which... I'm super excited. That got me pretty excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah. Scrolls are, uh, they're like an alien race in Marvel Comics. They're really, they've been around since Fantastic Four issue two. It's just really hard to believe in some ways that this, uh, <laughs> if you had told me that way back in 2008, when the first Iron Man movie came out, that what would effectively be a sequel to this movie or it takes place in the same universe in it would involve Scrolls at some point. I just would not have believed you, but it's been a busy 10 years. And now we've got, We've got scrolls in uh, in a movie coming out next year. And I think you're right, Chris. I think I'm excited for the Captain Marvel movie. I'm a big fan of the character Captain Marvel. I am way more excited uh, just because of the people that I follow on Twitter, on social media, and how pumped some of these fans are for this because people are losing their minds. And it's really like, it's a really pure, beautiful excitement. There's a lot of like, not really positive things on social media right now. But whenever I go over to the Cape Town Twitter feed, everybody just seems really pumped about Captain Marvel. And that's making me more excited about it than I probably would be otherwise. Yeah, I think it'll be cool. I mean, I'm glad they did the... Because um, I was like really bummed that it wasn't a trailer, I'll be honest. But I was also really excited that they seemed to kind of anticipate that there would be a letdown that there wasn't a trailer. So they released these like massive pieces of news and single screenshots, like the fact that the scrolls were in the movie. Um, Cause I mean, Tyler, I know you and I have talked about that. And I think maybe we've discussed it on the podcast before, but nobody really knew who had the rights to those Yeah, because they appeared in fantastic four, as you mentioned first. So um, like I always thought all along that, that Fox had the rights, which like, you know, now Disney owns Fox. So maybe it's a moot point, but the fact that we can get them sets up a lot of really cool storylines that, you know, a lot of places they could go, not least, obviously, Secret Invasion. So it feels like this is the first glimpse we're getting at the next phase of Marvel, like post-Avengers. Um, 
And I think that's really exciting to see what they could be doing with that. I'm still going to be consistently nervous now that they're here, that secret invasion is going to happen and that they're just going to like erase in a like character building that from anybody like it just like i get nervous thinking that chris's gonna... deepest fear is that tom holland is gonna wink at the camera and his eyes <laughs> gonna turn to a scroll <laughs> so in the comics there's a famous uh storyline called secret invasion the scrolls are alien shapeshifters and secret invasion reveals that a lot of our, our like favorite superheroes beloved characters in marvel comics had for many years actually been scrolls who had been planted in had kids kidnapped the original superheroes and had been pretending to be them for quite a while. Would not be surprised if there were some revelations in the near future, either in Captain Marvel or or maybe in Avengers 4, that some characters who we'd always thought were on the up and up turned out to be scrolls too. Um, and that would be, yeah, I don't think anybody's safe there. I, I could see really anybody turning out to be uh, an alien spy. I would love it if the scrolls that they revealed first were Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, <laughs> uh, Eric Bana, and Edward Norton. Um, that would be very good. Speaking of like movie news that potentially has people worried, uh, Henry Cavill, uh, as everybody saw probably at this point, is out. And, well, that's not true. We should be careful here. He is maybe out as Superman. Did you guys get any clarity on whether or not that was actually official? Because I did not. No. Uh, I mean, Warner Brothers wished him the best, which usually doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not breaking up with you, but I wish you well and many happy. Yeah, I don't don't see that. (laughs) I kind of wonder if it just means that he's not necessarily like fired or he's not quitting, but they just don't really have any Superman plans at the moment. So they're like, well later i guess we'll call you if we decide we need you i mean that's kind of what it feels like like it feels like all their movie slate is basically set to make batman the centerpiece and then kind of see how aquaman like how aquaman does and then you know once they get wonder woman movies up to the current time they can probably like figure out how that fits together but it for sure just based on their slate of movies that have been announced so far um kind of seems like they're leaving superman behind which like I mean, as much as I love Superman and have defended him vociferously on this podcast, I think it's probably a good call. Where are you at on Henry Cavill as Superman? Everybody knows how I feel about the movies, but do you feel like with the right writer, with the right director, there could have been a good Superman somewhere in Henry Cavill? I like him. I think he has. I think Man from Uncle kind of showed a little bit of that charisma that he yeah. can have, that charm that, like, just like that is underlying with Superman. Um, so yeah, I feel like it's there. I actually still haven't even seen the newest Mission Impossible, but I know that you know people raved about his performance in that as well. Um, so yeah, I feel like he has the ability there. The he's just suffered from um, Zack Snyder's writing. Ryan, what do you think? Because you've seen the new Mission Impossible. Yeah, like he's fine. I mean, it's like like I love the new Mission Impossible, but Henry Cavill was like not the reason I loved Mission Impossible. Like he was fine in it. I mean, I feel like he's he's I mean, and Henry, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. Um, like I think he's a little one note, um, which isn't necessarily bad. A lot of, you know, actors have had long careers with, you know, kind of one note performances. So I think, you know, depending on how he's written, I think he could have pulled it off. But I think the main thing is like this is gonna sound so dumb. I don't like I don't know if he has like the charisma to play Superman, where like he's believable as sort of like the leader of a planetary movement. 
mostly because like I mean the other two movies that he often gets like you know kudos for are the new Mission Impossible movie and then the Man from Uncle, which I thought he was good in too. Um, but again, he's basically playing the same character and everything, which again is not a necessarily a criticism, um, just sort of the way it is. So you know, I don't know. It's it's hard because it's just like I have no way of knowing what his you know Superman could have been yeah. because he was reading words that Zack Snyder wrote. So. Well, to be fair, Superman himself is pretty one note. So wow, untrue. <laughs> I think he looked the part. He looks like Superman. Sure. I can see why they yeah. thought that this was going to work really well. I could, yeah, for sure, with regards to him and uh, and I think that we were all, or at least I was. All, I remember being extremely excited when that first Man of Steel trailer came out. Yeah. Because him, him like zipping around above the earth with the cape behind him, like that to me still looks a lot like Superman, and is pretty close to, uh, to as close to the Christopher Reeves portrayal as we've seen. It is once we got into the nuts and bolts of the movie itself, it, it wasn't very good. So there's a lot of things that are up in the air about where DC's going from here. Supposedly, they're going to try to focus on Supergirl potentially with a period piece set in the 70s about Supergirl. They're really getting excited about setting these movies in different times and places that are current one. And uh, I guess that's as good a plan as any to try to write the ship. But then we also heard this week, this is barely news in the sense that it's not actually happening. It's just somebody saying they would be okay if it happened. John Hamm would be okay playing Batman. And I got super excited about that. Not because I think it's actually going to happen because I don't know that it will or that anybody's actually interested in John Hamm's Batman who's making a Batman movie. But I think that'd be great. I can totally see that. Yeah, it'd be awesome. It'd be great. If they haven't called him already, they should. They said that they haven't. He said that he has never had a conversation about it, which leads me to believe that Warner Brothers is really asleep at the wheel. Because (laughs) if you're... If you're talking about casting a Batman movie, you should at least call John Hamm just to see if he'd be interested in it. He looks the part. He's very well known as like a superhero head. Get him on some protein, get him into CrossFit, and he could fill out the suit just fine. And I think he would play that sort of that grouchy intelligence really well, which isn't something we've really had in a Batman in a while. Yeah. I like Kristen Bale's performance. I didn't think Ben Affleck's performance was the problem with the Justice League or, or Batman versus Superman movies. Uh, but I didn't feel like either of them really communicated that sort of detective level genius that I think is a really big part of Batman. And I feel like John Hamm could, if he can somehow translate his his marketing genius savvy that he portrayed as Don Draper in Mad Men into criminal detective savvy, then I think you could have a really like Hall of Fame performance from him. Plus, we know he looks great in a tux. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Are they going too old with these guys, though? That's a good question. That's my reaction to John Hamm. Like he's he's a year older than Ben Affleck. So yeah, I don't know. Like I I I kind of just if they're going to look to somebody to carry a franchise for you know the span of ten years or more, like someone who is forty seven going to be you know who will be pushing sixty when you know like a three movie deal is done, that seems wild to me. But see, I like old Batman because like I like the idea that it's. Uh, conceivable that Dick Grayson could be an adult and Batman could also be like an older adult. Because um, sure. I think like if you introduce, and this is obviously like in the realm of fanfic at this point, but like if you introduce John Hamm as Batman, then I think, and I told Tyler this, I think in a separate conversation, but I think that gives you an opening to basically without telling any origin stories, you just have the whole Bat family. Um, so I think you immediately have Dick Grayson as Nightwing in the wings no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> you've got maybe maybe you introduce Damien at some point. 
Um, you've got, I guess, Tim Drake is Robin, even though he sucks. Um, and then you've got Batgirl, Batwoman. So you like, I think it's it would be a good time to ha- if it was an older Batman to really introduce the whole Bat family. And then I think that also gives you an immediate way to kind of pivot out of the character once they get old. And you can basically either reboot with Nightwing as Batman, or you reboot the whole thing and you know go younger and like tell the origin story again. I think you could also make the case that a an avenue that's open to DC as they try to figure out how to do their movie universe better is instead of copying the Marvel uh, blueprint of these these ten year franchises, do a series of of one offs that don't even necessarily have to be connected or part of the same universe, but give different directors and creators different but short self-contained movies to explore the genre. Uh, Logan would be a a good example of somebody who did that. Well, the movie may not necessarily be considered Canon. Uh, Like, I don't think it would be, uh, I think that you could say that the rest of the X-Men movies exist pretty safely outside of a world where professor X uh, gets killed in, in the middle of a Wolverine movie. But I also think that that would be, there's a lot of opportunities there. There's a lot of cool stories you could tell if you don't feel like you're beholden to this much larger 10 year, 20 year vision. And Batman would be a great way to explore it. Cause it's really, I'm excited to see what Matthew Reeves wants to do with Batman, but I'd also be excited to see somebody else get a chance to do something completely different after. And that's, what's made the comics so interesting for such a long time. I feel like DC could copy that and the way they kind of seem to be trying to do as, as not excited as I am about this, that feels like what they're going for with this Joker movie that's being directed by Todd Phillips starring Joaquin Phoenix it doesn't seem like this is connected to the Jared Leto version. Thank God. It, it just seems like somebody's getting a chance to tell a story about the Joker. They'll see how it goes. And if it doesn't work, it was just a kind of a what if story anyway. Yeah. I mean, we're recording this when that photo came out of him looking. <laughs> uh, the Joaquin Phoenix photo. Yeah. 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 Um, just sort of like, I think I made the joke on Facebook that it like he's been shopping in the clearance department at jc penny <laughs> um, but it just it looks like joaquin phoenix landed on some hard times i do agree with you because i think you know doing standalone movies is cool in the same way that kind of you know letting some comic creators play outside the like canonical sandbox has resulted in some really cool stuff um or even letting them play in canon but do some mini series i i maintain a healthy skepticism about this particular joker movie um but you know i could be i would be happy to be surprised is that how the spider-man video game is operating is that is it considered to be in canon no i think it's outside of canon we don't know a whole lot about the spider-man uh video game but we hear it's very good and in order to clarify that we're going to have our first ever listener segment So here we go, our first ever uh, guest segment, and we're going to be doing it with our new friend and listener, Chris Ka. Hi, Chris. Hey, hey, Tyler. How's it going? Hey, good. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being willing to like take a chance on this, because this could really go <laughs> any direction right now. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to, uh, you know, big fan of the show, been listening since the beginning. So uh, really excited to uh, to get to be a small part of it for, for an, you know, an episode. Were you listening to it from the beginning of Cape Town, or were you listening all the way back in like the early days of the It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's a Podcast situation? Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm probably revealing my nerdiness or my how much I love comics, but um, I actually started listening to It's a Bird, It's a Plane, It's a Podcast um, when you guys launched that. And then uh, I missed one episode because I hadn't 
seen X-Men Apocalypse. Oh. And so I just held off and held off on listening to you guys, uh, the review that you guys did uh, for the longest time. And then by the time that I saw the movie, uh, it was gone. So <laughs> never got to hear that episode. So if there's any back files, I'd be willing to listen to it. You didn't miss anything. And actually those episodes are like dust in the wind. I don't have access to them. And I don't know anybody who does. They like their, their rights are tied up with people who aren't me. So you, you just always have to wonder what we thought about it. But I think at this point we've made it pretty clear that we weren't big fans. <laughs> and it wasn't even that good of a movie. So you didn't miss out on hardly That's true. anything. That's true. But thank you for being such a loyal listener. That's I, I wish we had like Cape Town swagger to send over. Hey, hey, anytime I'll, I'll take it. I'll take a free shirt or two. Definitely. So we're here today to talk about the spider-man game uh you are the only like true gamer that we've had on the show so far are you i'm like i feel like there's a scale of gamers like and you can correct me on literally anything here because i don't know anything about video games but i feel like there's like the very casual gamer who just kind of dips in and out whenever they get a chance to and the person who like cites Fortnite in their divorce papers (laughs) and i'm assuming you fall like somewhere in the middle of that but are you like are you pretty intense about it um, yeah, I, it's, it's kind of my hobby. Um, okay. and one of my hobbies, I, I, you know, I, I have a number of different things that I, that I do to pass the time. I build Legos and stuff like that too, but, okay. um, it is kind of my primary hobby and it's just fun to, to relax. So I definitely don't play everything. And, um, and you know, uh, my wife hasn't divorced me yet because of Fortnite. <laughs> so, um, so that's good. But, uh, but yeah, I get really excited, particularly about, um, really fun really good games with great stories i i love uh, the uncharted series and the last of us and um was really excited when i found out that insomniac was going to be making the uh, spider-man game is insomniac a very well-known uh like game design company like when people found out they were doing a spider-man game did that kind of make sense yeah I, I think it did um they made a game called sly cooper Okay. Uh, and, and I may be wrong in this, but I'm pretty sure they made a game called infamous. Okay. And so, which was kind of like a superhero game, but they're definitely one of the, the more trusted developers. The fact that it was kind of a, it was, it's just a PlayStation game. Unfortunately, it stops people from like everybody from being able to play it. Um, but at the same time, it allowed them to really hone in on a system that they know, um, and build a really great game in a really, really great world. So that's what we, I want to like dig into the actual specifics of it. Now, what do you think works best about the game? One of the things that I really love about the game, I I think the most, the kind of the most basic thing of the game is they had to get web swinging, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's a core part of who Spider-Man is. And and I think it's for a lot of us, it's why we love Spider-Man. I remember uh, the first time I saw the the Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire in the theaters opening weekend and at the end of the movie, Spider-Man swinging through New York and, and how uh, excited I was and how, you know, that embodied what I was hoping Spider-Man, the Spider-Man movie would be. Um, and so I think in the same way, I wanted a video game to nail that in 2018. Um, and they absolutely did that. So that's by far the best part of the game to me. Um, I also really liked the story. Uh, one of the things I like about, um, comic book stories, comic book movies or, or games is when they take a, um, a story that we're kind of all familiar with, uh, like the Spider-Man story. We, we kind of know the logistics of it and the basics of it. Um, but they, they make some slight turns and some slight twists to it to really make it their own. And I think they did that with the Spider-Man suit that they, that 
was designed specifically for the game, but also uh, when you dig into the story and you get into, you know, meeting all the characters that are part of the, the game itself, uh, you find that a lot of them are, they're familiar characters, but they are, um, and they're still very much themselves, but they've made some tweaks to the story to kind of make it their own and make it new for, uh, for even, you know, seasoned yeah. Spider-Man fans. Without getting into too many spoilers, can you give me the bare bones of the story, like the the setup of the plot? Yeah, so um, it begins. You're you know you're a a probably mid twenties Spider Man, um, and you're kind of tasked with taking down Kingpin. And after Kingpin, there's there's a kind of a rise, and you know Kingpin's uh, after you take him down, which is the very beginning of the game. Um, there's a rise by uh, some characters called the Demons. Um, which are led by Mr. Negative, as well as a few different um, other gangs and things like that uh, that are trying to take control of the city. And as part of all that, Spider-Man or Peter Parker is working with uh, a doctor that is either Doc Ock or Doc Connors, whichever one you know uh, excites you more. Um, it's okay. well, so it's not it's not like a pick 'em, but it's kind of a spoiler to know which one it is. Um, but Peter's working with one of them. Uh, and you get to see that relationship build out and grow uh, throughout the game, and it all kind of comes to a head at the end. I know that that's that's as unspoilery as I can get. I feel like no, that's not, no, that's great. I feel like half the fun of it would just be knowing as little as possible and diving in, which I haven't like one hundred percent decided that I won't do yet. Like go out <laughs> and, and like take the dive on this, but for the purposes of right now, I want to stay spoiler free as possible. Were there any misses? Like things that didn't work about it. I think some of the controls can be a little, um, a little weird sometimes. Um, it, the game is really fast paced, and so sometimes it's kind of odd to to move around a little bit. Particularly, and mm-hmm. there are some challenges that you have to do. There's one where you have to um, go uh, to like three different areas and disarm a bomb, and you have a timer, and it can be a little bit difficult to do it as quickly as possible because it's tougher to land. Um, and some of the controls can be a little weird and the camera angles can be a little weird. Um, so I think that's definitely something that they could improve on in a sequel. And I think the, the other big one is, um, it can be a little bit repetitive. Uh, I, I will caveat that with, it's a lot of fun. Um, but the enemies you see at the beginning are the same enemies you see at the end. And there isn't a whole lot of differentiation between them. So it does get a little bit repetitive. I mean, I would assume there's going to be a sequel of some kind, especially after the financial success of this first one. Um, do you have any like ideas about where you'd like to see that one go? Well, they definitely uh, lead to a, a couple. There's a couple things at the end. I've actually beaten the game uh, by now, but um, there's a couple things. Congratulations! That, yeah, I, it, you know, there was a hurricane, and sure. uh, and so I was stuck in the house for two days, and so that's kind of how it happened. Well, um, but, yeah, but yeah. Uh, so there, there's definitely some directions that they can take it um, building off of that. But I think, you know, if they clean up the controls and, and get the right balance with new types of enemies and things like that, I think they can do or they can do some really great things. I really like that they built a story that is kind of a, a one piece arc. And so the next steps they take are going to be like, I feel like they're going to take what they learned from this first game and, and just really knock it out of mm-hmm. the park next time. It's going to be really great. Something that I like that I wonder about, like that I think about even that, like, and this is me as a non gamer. So I don't even know why I consider it, but I think, but I wonder a lot of times like what different video games for different superheroes would look like. Have you put any thought into different 
like characters from comics who could who could really do with a good game? I think about it a lot, actually. Um, so uh, there's been a rumor that um, the people who made the Batman Arkham Knight or Arkham Asylum games, yeah, um, that series, Rocksteady, there's a rumor that they're making a Superman game, which I think would be really phenomenal and really exciting. Um, another one I really like is there's there was an X-Men game on PlayStation 2 called X-Men Legends. Yeah, which I've heard of, but don't know anything about it. It was like a four-person, kind of like a top-down almost, um, but a four-person game where you could team up with three other people. Uh, it was all local, um, but you you would go through the story and it was just a fun game. It was kind of like a, um, like a Diablo type game to okay. an extent. And so I'd love for them to redo that. Um, but if they were going to do something brand new, I think a, a Black Panther game would be a lot of fun right now, um, especially based off the success that the movie had and um, the excitement over the character right now. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, and Iron Man would, would be pretty cool with a, an engine similar to what they did with Spider-Man. I'm kind of surprised they don't have those. I get that Spider-Man has the most possibilities for just that open world like exploring new york city through the web swinging which is really fun but with the success of characters like iron man it seems like there's a lot of opportunity there that just hasn't gone explored yet as far as i can as far as i know i haven't heard any rumors about it yeah i think they they made a spider or an iron man game when um when the movie came out i think the first movie and i think people liked it but um that was a long time ago and so i think people are a lot more fond of the character now but um, I do know that, or I think I, I read somewhere that um, Insomniac was basically given a green light by Marvel to choose whichever character they wanted to make oh. a game for. And so they chose Spider-Man specifically because of, you know, the popularity and stuff. And that's kind of a tall task, but Spider-Man was the one that they really had their eye on. Those are all the questions I had about the game, but I do want to get your thoughts that we didn't plan this. I didn't, I didn't tell you we'd be talking about this, but uh, we're, we happen to be talking on the day when the MCU dropped the Captain Marvel trailer uh, and, and me and the rest of the cast haven't even gotten to talk about this yet. So you're going to be the first person to give your thoughts on Captain Marvel on this uh, podcast since we recorded this after I did the recording with the main cast. What, do you, uh, what were your thoughts? What do you think? So uh, it's kind of funny, actually. I don't watch trailers, typically. Oh, you don't even watch trailers. So I, You're well, one of those. So I watch this one, though. Um, <laughs> but I try to avoid them as best I can because I don't like spoilers. But uh, I, I'm excited. I, I probably won't. I don't need another trailer. I was going to see it opening night anyway. Um, I really didn't even need to watch the first trailer. But uh, I, I don't have a whole lot of context for Captain Marvel yet. I, I, I'm going to... Um, to try and get a hold of some stuff, probably through Marvel Unlimited, and uh, and read some stuff. But I um, I'm really excited. It looks like it could be a lot of fun. You know, some of the the bad guys and things like that uh, looked pretty cool. Uh, the scrolls in the in the um, trailer looked awesome. So um, I think it's got a lot of potential. And I'm really excited to see after Infinity War. I'm really excited to see what the next steps are, especially since the all of the movies have been so good. Um, even the bad ones really aren't that bad. They're so watchable. <laughs> They're not justice. Yeah, yeah, I agree. With um, that. <laughs> like, so uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with it. I think um, it's going to be really neat. I, I think it's, it's really good that um, we're getting a, a really strong female lead um, as much as I would have wanted that to have been black widow uh, like three or four years ago. Same. Um, I think it'll be cool to have a, 
female lead in a, a Marvel movie. So I'm really excited about that. Well, we'll try to get an episode out to to guide your upcoming reading process on Marvel Unlimited. We were we were hoping to do one. Uh, we we're hoping to do Captain Marvel for this episode that you're on right now. Uh, but since Hannah couldn't make it, we wanted to save it and make sure that she could be part of that conversation. So that'll be coming out in the very near future. Um, but Chris, thanks for taking the time to talk to us, man. I appreciate you listening and I appreciate you being willing to be our very first uh, listener, been our very first listener segment. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to hear the episode, although I'll probably skip over my part. <laughs> That's what I, I don't listen to, him, but, but I can't, I can't stand the sound of my own voice. Um, but it'll be coming your way soon. And thanks a lot. We'll be hopefully talking to you soon. Bye, Chris. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. That was our first ever listener segment. We're going to be doing these regularly. We'll be reaching out on Twitter and on Facebook to talk to you guys about things that we may not know much about because there there are gaps in our knowledge and we want to make sure that we're giving other, other people who know more than us an opportunity to weigh in and tell us what we get wrong or what we just don't know much about. So if you're interested, follow us there. Uh, we're on Twitter at Cape Town Pod and uh, on Facebook at Cape Town Pod as well. The last piece of news we have before we get into the final segment is the news that came out this week uh, that I'm really excited about. A writer, a new comic book writer by the name of Saladin Ahmed is writing Miles Morales Spider-Man. Miles Morales is, of course, a half-black, half-Latino teenager who Marvel introduced into its universe via Brian Michael Bendis a couple of years ago. He's become very popular as a second Spider-Man uh, who's not Peter Parker, but it has similar powers. Uh, he's getting his own movie in December, his own Spider-Man movie into the Spider-Verse. And now Saladin Ahmed, who has done really, really great work with uh, a Black Bolt comic and Exiles, is going to be taking the reins on Miles Morales. And I, I think that's, I really love his writing. I'm really glad that a writer of color is finally getting a chance to write Miles Morales because up to this point, he's been written by uh, by a white man, by Bendis. And I think it's going to be really cool to see where he takes the character. Apparently the first big villain is going to be Rhino. Uh, Rhino's not considered like, uh, he's just kind of a, a dumb brute, but Ahmed has sort of famously has a lot of affection for the, the blue collar workers of the Spider-Man, of the comic book universe and tries to give them a little more personality besides being meathead muscle faces. And I'm excited to see what he does with Rhino too. I don't even know if you guys have read any of Ahmed's work before this. No, I've been meaning to pick up his Black Bolt run, uh, but I just like, I haven't made it around to it. Have you read that? Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a, one of the best things Marvel did uh, last year. It's a really tender comic. It's very empathetic, which is something I wouldn't associate with a lot of superhero comics, but he really takes a lot of pains to expose not necessarily these the, the flaws of these characters, because most characters in superhero comics are flawed in the sense that they're shown to be too tough or too stubborn or they go their own way. He shows flaws that are a little less flattering, uh, like a, like fear, uh, emotional vulnerability, uh, a fragility that is that is very very refreshing and and way more relatable to me. And his Exiles run is is really really fun too. It just treats superheroes like a big sandbox where he pulls from just about every corner of the Marvel universe for this dimension hopping run. He he's a great writer, and I think he's a great fit for Miles, a villain that we don't know if he's going to be making an appearance in the Miles Morales run, but he is considered one of Spider-Man's most long-standing villains. Is the character we're talking about today, Venom whose new movie comes out the first weekend in October. So Venom is one of Spider-Man's best-known 
villains who's kind of become somewhere between a villain and an anti-hero and goes back and forth on that a lot. Why do you think that is? Why do people care? I feel like part of me like has always been attached to him just from from this like nostalgic point of view. He always looked super super cool. Mm-hmm. Like when I was a kid, that's what I really gravitated towards. I was like, oh, this like giant alien monster, you know, who's like super intimidating. But like once you actually dive into the character and the stories that have been written, like he's been written into, um, I feel like, you know, like over the last 15 years, you know, prior to, I'd say even like prior to the Agent Venom run, like when he's been played as like more of the anti-hero, like Eddie Brock has been played as the anti-hero like villain. It's almost comical. Like it's never really <laughs> written. It's, it's never really written good. It's just always like it's always overdone. You have those you have those quotes that we kind of hear from the trailer about like something about a turd in the wind. <laughs> like, you know, it's always written it's always written in this like really cheesy, forced over like overly tough guy way. I feel like a lot of people look at Venom like through rose tinted glasses. Like he, that he is just like, he has way cooler stories to him than he really does. And I feel like the symbiote itself, like the Venom symbiote has also just like, it's been played like in so many like side stories as like, Oh, like the symbiote has attached itself to so-and-so. And it just has kind of become comical at this point. Like all the people who've had the symbiote at some point, part of their story. Yeah. 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 Like I feel like my favorite parts of them when they've kind of leaned really hard into like the horror side of Venom, like there have been moments where that has been played really well or like the entire other side of it where, you know, they developed this character, Agent Venom under flash thompson uh which is a really cool like redemption arc for one the character like two characters like the venom symbiote and flash thompson but as a villain like he just like i've never really seen like substance there to really like warrant the amount of attention that he has gotten and maybe that's where we need to like kind of split it up because there have been a few uh, um, it seems like almost everybody has had the symbiote attached at some point but the basic conceit is that there's this alien substance called the symbiote it looks basically like Wait, sorry i gotta stop you i think uh the movie has changed the pronunciation to symbiote <laughs> <laughs> i think but i think that's only jenny slate's pronunciation i think everybody else <laughs> says symbiote in the movie except for dogged reporter jenny slate who calls it a symbiote um, <laughs> you say whatever you want in the comfort of your own home and if Jenny Slate says it, then I'm willing to accept it. The symbiote is an alien black slime substance that is sentient and bonds to hosts and turns them into this giant Spider-Man looking monster creature that becomes sort of an evil opposite of Spider-Man. Eddie Brock, who was another reporter at the Daily Bugle, who was very jealous of Spider-Man's uh, of Peter Parker's success, was the first and most famous bond or host of the symbiote but he's also been attached to Flash Thompson. And with under Flash Thompson, he became this character called Agent Venom, who could sort of almost control the symbiote. And he became sort of like a, he was even a member of Guardians of the Galaxy for a little while as a, a sort of like James Bond sort of character with symbiote powers too. Peter Parker had him for a while. It's a weird concept. And I could see it because I think it has worked in the past. I just think like you said, Chris, so much of it is, popularity is dependent on his like edgy 90s like big weird toothy look and i think he's just more known as being a badass but when you start looking at for actually good venom stories i don't know that there are very many yeah i mean i think 
Venom definitely came during a time when like everything was extreme uh, with like lots of X's. Um, like I feel like Venom came around during the time, or at least it's like it, in my memory, which granted can be fuzzy. It was popular like at the same time like Spawn comics were. Yeah. They look really similar. Um, yeah, and when like that Todd McFarlane art style was really popular, which like you know is absolutely better than like Rob Liefeld, <laughs> um, but it very much was that sort of like super intricate, like kind of horror, like indebted to horror, uh, like pictures and comics. And I mean, you know, that's not a knock. Like Venom looks awesome. Um, like when I was a kid, before I read any comics, like I always thought Venom was like the coolest supervillain just because of like how he looked. But yeah, I mean, like looking for Venom stories is pretty rough. And I mean, I think, you know, the fact that Venom spawned carnage is kind of all you need to know. <laughs> yeah, things got, even if you can make mounted defense of Venom, when you start having to defend carnage, things get really difficult. And then yeah. the various like, like spinoffs of carnage, yeah. even then. What stories did you guys read in to prepare for this? Uh, Marvel Unlimited actually has like a Venom vi- villain like discoverable section so actually as much as i like i think i've stated how much i hate going through a lot of the old school uh just because of like how campy a lot of old school writing is um i went through a lot of like the origin stories of like when he was first like when he first became attached to uh peter like from secret wars and then on to uh when he became like uh attached to eddie brock and again, like it just, it did nothing for my love for the character. Like I've read the, I think like when I've actually like some moments that I've really loved from Venom, the villain is like in the ultimate universe, there was this one drawn out um, section where Eddie Brock Jr. Um, still takes on the suit in a completely different way, but they do these panels where, uh, where he is talking with he's on a bench and he's talking with multiple people throughout these panels um and like the conversation like his conversation is fluid and it's just a different person interchanging each time and then you realize that like towards the last panel that the symbiote is actually eating these people as they come and sit next to him and it was just like this like that is like when i think like okay like i get the terrifying side of this Mm -hmm. villain but you never really get that. Like yeah. once he actually opens his mouth, it's just kind of stupid. <laughs> like, I feel like the whole time he's like, so I read uh lethal protector, um, which was kind of his big uh, standalone limited series in the early nineties. It's sort of a redemption arc almost, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. A very soft redemption. Yeah. It's after, so Spider-Man defeats him in New York and basically like, you know, Venom comes to realize both Eddie Brock and the symbiote, uh, realize like you know they don't want to fight spider-man anymore so uh they go to um san francisco which is where eddie brock is from and while they're there they like kind of become this um like superhero-ish person you know that's fighting on behalf of like this uh community of home of people who are homeless as well as fighting a couple like the life corporation and stuff like that i would not recommend reading the series <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh and i mean much like chris it's like I mean, I feel like the problem and like, and I hope I've gone on record enough by saying like, I don't want like grim and gritty in my comics usually, but like with a character like Venom, I don't think it works if it's like this character sort of threatening like these terrible things, if they'd like never do them. Cause like the whole comic is he's like insulting people and being like, I'll eat your entrails. And then it's just like, he gets punched in the face and doesn't do anything. 
And so it's like, it's this weird combo of like this really like early 90s, you know, humor, which like also like early 90s Spider-Man comics are rough to read. But it's that crossed over with this like sort of edgelord fantasy of like, you know, a like a, a super villain, too powerful to control who's fighting on the side of good. It's basically like Dexter if Dexter was on CBS. Like that's the best <laughs> way I can describe it. So a story about a serial killer who kills people, except it has to be rated TVPG. I read, and I know I've talked about this one before, but I, I got caught up on the new ongoing Venom series uh, by Don Cates over at Marvel, um, which is actually quite good. And, and I, I'd, I know I've said that the past like three episodes in a row, but I really do stand by. I'm really impressed by the turn that he's found by making Eddie Brock a much more sympathetic character using the symbiote as a uh, sort of a metaphor, both for addiction, but but not in the sort of easy edgelord way that, it, that it, you could do, but something much more sympathetic about how both Eddie Brock and the symbiote come to really rely on each other, become codependent on each other in a way that's, that can be really chilling and at times even sort of touching. You, you see that there's a bond between them and Don Cates does some really interesting work in trying to make the symbiote more of a character, an actual character, uh, even apart from Eddie and somebody who's not just this crazy uh, cannibalistic badass, but has a real past has a history that is that is interesting there are i don't want to spoil anything but there are some ties to the past of the symbiote and the, a whole race of symbiotes that are with some uh with some other characters in the marvel universe that are that i did not see coming and uh and i think it works really well i think in terms of finding it's hard to find a good venom story and i feel like what don Cates is doing right now is about as close as you could come to one so I recommend it to both of you guys if you ever get around to it or when it comes to Marvel Unlimited in a couple months. I will say too, to be fair, like I did check out a couple issues of Mike Costa's run. Okay. Um, which is where Eddie Brock um reacquires the symbiote after um so Flash Thompson loses it and then it's like in the hands of this serial killer who just like murders a bunch of people. So Eddie Brock regains the the symbiote. And that like that was a lot more interesting in the hands of a modern writer. So it could, I mean so just being totally fair, like it could be more of a like just the fact that no one has tried to tackle him very much, except, you know, in these kind of uh, more outlandish situations like Space Knight and Guardians of the Galaxy and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I think it's interesting that Cates is trying to do or is doing a more straight, straightforward like Eddie Brock as Venom yeah. or with Venom story just to see like what that would look like in a modern context as opposed to sort of the 90s extreme kind of um, writing and art style. And we'll get into a little more of what that meant and looked like and what Venom's journey and Eddie Brock's journey through the extreme 90s and onto today's looked like in the script. Back in the 80s, Marvel Comics wasn't doing great. Money was tight. The industry was spiraling, and editor-in-chief Jim Shooter was willing to try just about anything to drum up some solid press. One of his ideas was a contest for fans that would have the added bonus of possibly bringing in some new talent. The idea was that aspiring writers and artists could send their idea into Marvel, and if Shooter liked any of them, he'd give the fan a crack at making it come to life. It was a pretty low-stakes contest, basically a fishing competition, if any of the ideas were good, Marvel would use them. If none of them worked, well, not every contest has to have a winner. 
That's where Robert Schuller enters the picture. Robert's idea was a simple one. In a world where people like Iron Man and Mr. Fantastic fought crime with billion-dollar tech, why would Spider-Man stick to a spandex suit? Wouldn't his genius pals offer to hook him up with some swag? This idea, which has gone on to be depicted in a lot of Spider-Man cinema, was pretty fresh at the time. Schuller's idea was that Reed Richards and the Wasp would work together to craft a new suit for Spider-Man, something dark and sleek that would blend in with the night shadows instead of standing out. The suit would borrow from Iron Man, too, giving Spider-Man's infamous web shooters a cybernetic link to his mind so that he only had to think about what kind of web he wanted to shoot. This, it can't be stressed enough, was the entirety of Schuller's pitch a new black costume with some cool upgrades. That was all. Shooter liked the concept. He wrote Schuller back, introduced him to Spider-Man's writer at the time, Tom DeFalco, and told them to make the story happen. At the time, there was no sense that the story would be more than a one-off thing. Spidey would try a new suit and drum up some fan interest, but he'd be back to the classic red and blue duds by the time the credits rolled. But things weren't that simple. DeFalco and Schuler's creative relationship wasn't smooth. In DeFalco's mind, one decent idea didn't make Schuler into a comic book writer. Schuler's side of the story seems to be that he sort of just lost interest. In any case, his story as pitched never happened. Marvel paid him $220 for an idea that looked like it was never going to happen. Spider-Man with a black costume. After that, things get a little complicated, and as with many stories, the exact notion of who came up with what is contested. What's known is this. When famous comic book artist John Byrne was working on Iron Fist, he'd had the idea that Iron Fist's costume was made of a self-repairing alien substance from his mystical home of Kun Lun. Byrne ended up scrapping that idea for Iron Fist, but another Marvel creative named Roger Stern got wind of it and asked if he could use it for a new Marvel crossover event called Secret Wars. He wanted to give Spider-Man a new costume, and a self-repairing alien substance seemed just weird enough to work. This was the 80s, remember? So, Schuller's idea was pulled off the shelf, and the idea for a black Spider-Man costume finally found daylight. Not as a high-tech gift from the Fantastic Four, but as an extraterrestrial substance that bonds with Spider-Man. Stern even gave it a name, the symbiote. Initially, it was just a cool new look with some extra features like unlimited webbing. Little did Peter know that this weird substance had a mind of its own and would soon become one of his deadliest enemies. Schuller didn't know anything about any of this until he picked up a copy of Secret Wars Issue 8, with his design staring back at him from the cover. According to a 2007 editorial Schuller wrote for a website called Comic Book Resources, there are no hard feelings. Schuller still sounds genuinely honored to have been given the chance to work on a Spider-Man book, however briefly. He wrote, quote, that he was simultaneously thrilled and saddened. And when the black costume caught on, I was even more thrilled. And then when Venom was created, I was disturbed. He wasn't alone. That's sort of the idea. It was a series of creators who slowly established that the symbiote had a mind of its own and evil intentions. 
David McKelleny, Todd McFarlane, and DeFalco himself all contributed bits and pieces to the legend, and all seem to still be a little surly when one takes credit without mentioning the other. Once Peter Parker discovers that the symbiote is slowly taking control of his body in a crude but effective metaphor for addiction, he ditches the costume, only for it to find a new host in Eddie Brock, a fellow Daily Bugle photographer whose seething hatred of Parker is a mirror for the symbiote, which itself was pretty pissed off at being rejected. That union was the origin of Venom, who made his first full debut in The Amazing Spider-Man 300, terrorizing Spider-Man's wife Mary Jane and beating Peter himself within an inch of his life. Brock wasn't the only host of the symbiote. Over time, it would be established that the symbiote was one of an alien race of symbiotes who feast on their host's adrenaline until it's all used up, and then they move on to the next host. Our symbiote, Venom, was actually a renegade member of his race because he bonded with his hosts emotionally, too. He really liked Peter Parker and Eddie Brock. He just had a twisted idea about what helping them would look like. Venom didn't save Marvel Comics per se, but he became insanely popular, even spinning out into his own solo series, where he was established as more of an anti-hero, forever threatening to go off the deep end and maim, torture, and even feast on evildoers, but never quite crossing the line. Venom would come to symbolize the comic book excesses of the 80s, in which edginess was frequently, though not always, a substitute for creativity. It took time, but writers found a way to root Venom's character in real, thoughtful development. There are great Venom stories in the canon, but when most people picture him, they still just think of an evil-looking Spider-Man with the teeth and the tongue. Robert Schuller never meant for his idea to be anything more than a contest entry. He just thought it might be cool for Spider-Man to have a new cool getup for an issue or two. Little did he know that in this industry, all too often, ideas have a mind of their own. They start out benign, but they feed on adrenaline and eventually become something much different than they start out as. They can even become a little dangerous. They'll use you. They'll take more than they give, even if some part of them may genuinely care for you. Schuler was just entering a contest, but not every contest has a winner. Okay, so we are going to wrap up with this question, and uh, there's no way to really answer it right now, but I'm we've dragged a lot on the Venom movie on this podcast. Uh, some of you guys on Twitter and Facebook have gotten on us because we've, you feel like we're not really giving it a chance, and maybe we're not giving it enough of a chance. Maybe this is going to surprise all of us, and I, I want to stress... I said this before, we never root for any of these movies to fail. We like this genre. We like superhero movies. So I would love for this to be good. The trailer did not inspire a ton of confidence on my part, but I do like the cast quite a bit. And if I'm rooting for it in any way right now, it's because I'd really like to see a a good movie come from Tom Hardy, Riz Ahmed, Jenny Slate, uh, apparently Woody Harrelson, who has not made an appearance in the trailer yet, but he is supposedly in this too. So I, I think that the talent is there. I would just say that this movie looks like it's leaning into a lot of parts about Venom that are not the things about me that interest the character. And I think there were maybe more interesting choices available to them. And I still can't quite get over the fact that uh, they're trying to make a Venom movie without Spider-Man. And You could maybe do that with some villain characters. I don't see how you make a Venom movie apart from Spider-Man. His whole look is is very indebted to Spider-Man. And that one has been a head-scratcher for me this entire time. I mean, I think that's the weird thing is like the whole reason, at least, I mean, in in the comics. And, you know, I don't think that 
movies need to have like a slavish uh, reverence to their source material necessarily. But I think it would be tricky to make a Venom movie that's recognizable as Venom without having Spider-Man. Because like the whole point of Venom is that he got like the symbiote got its powers because it was a part of Spider-Man. Um, and so it like copied all of the all of Spider-Man's powers, like the strength and the climbing up walls and the shooting web and all that stuff. And that's why Venom has all those powers. So it just seems weird to be like, you know, suddenly this is, you know, an anti-hero story of like, I guess, someone who dips their hands into some like moving tar. But, you know, much like you, like I would love for this movie to be good. Um, I think the cast is great. I think the people behind like the filmmakers are good. Yeah, it's it's tricky to see what it'll be like. I will say, and I mean, this is similar to what like one of my critiques of the comic. Like, I do think it's hard to tell tell a good Venom story in a movie that's rated PG thirteen. Which, like, you know, again, I don't want to come across as uh, the C or the DC universe's Robin or anything, <laughs> but you know, I do think like if they're gonna have like a real anti hero who like kills people, like it wouldn't hurt necessarily to play into like some of the um, you know, some of the freedom that like Deadpool played with, or even some of the freedom that like the Punisher show on Netflix did. Cause I felt like that, like the Punisher show into and even the daredevil show, I think it played with that idea of um, what it looks like to be super violent and how that impacts your soul as someone who views themselves as a hero and on the side of righteousness. Um, and they do it in like a really interesting way, but it also requires you know, it requires more than a PG-13 rating to do that, I think. Chris, as the podcast's resident biggest Spider-Man fan, how do you feel about a Venom without Spider-Man? Yeah, I think I've been pretty outspoken about that. <laughs> I, I, might be the, I might be the reason that we've gotten a lot of flack on Twitter. Um, but I will concede that, like, maybe this is, like, an opportunity for, like, a, a good film to, like devil's advocate maybe what if like the characterization of spider-man is what has held venom back from being a good character Hmm. so like is there an opportunity here for them to actually tell a good story with the idea of this character i'll leave it there (laughs) (laughs) i I feel like that's probably the most optimism you could probably get from me like going into the movie um so yeah we'll definitely see in a couple of weeks it comes out on october 5th i think yeah, I mean, hopefully, like, I hope it's good. And um, I mean, I do think the one silver lining will be as if it's bad, which, again, I don't want it to be bad. But I I do feel like Sony is probably watching this movie super closely mm-hmm. for their Spider-Verse or whatever it is that they're calling it lately to see how many more of these movies they can milk out of the universe. Um, and my preference would be zero. So, um, <laughs> Unless it's good. Yeah, yeah, unless it's good. Unless this is surprisingly good. But right now, I'm not super interested because there's apparently a Craven movie in the works. There's a Morbius movie in the works. These are other Spider-Man villains that apparently Sony feels like there's potential in and having their own uh, and possibly maybe a Black Cat movie. These are all actually, they make more sense to me as a standalone villain movie than a Venom movie does. But they, they chose to lead off with Venom and getting Tom Hardy on board, getting Michelle Williams on board. That that was probably a big motivator for them, too, because these are big names for the actors. Yeah, We'll obviously come back with a real review in a bit. But in the meantime, I do hope you guys pick up Don Cates' run on Venom because I, I, I think it's something that's pretty special. And, and I uh, admire what it's done for the character. I think it's the best possible iteration of that character. And I hope that the movie took a few cues from it. Any other thoughts about Venom before we sign off? 
I would just say like if anyone has any uh, Venom comics that we feel like you feel like we missed yeah, or that we need to check out to really understand the character. And I mean, I think particularly like I focused on Eddie Brock um, during my reading just because that's who the movie is based on. So if there are any good Eddie Brock v- Venom stories out there besides Kate's, I would love to hear. Yeah. Prove us wrong. We would love to know about good comics that we didn't read about all at this time. Thanks for listening to this episode, guys. We really appreciate it. If you like what you heard, if you appreciated what we did, then feel free to head over to our Apple Podcast page. Uh, give us a good review on there. And also follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Cape Town Pod. Um, we also want to make sure we say thank you to uh, CM Studios. It's Chad and Jesse up there that are keeping us sounding good on the ones and twos. And we'll be back next time. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Chris Hedblood. And I'm Ryan Hamm. For Hannah Mazzell, no need for thanks, citizen. We'll see you next time. Bye.